What do you Soviet invasion fears, radioactive fallout, and DDT have to do with Jiminy Cricket? Find out on this week's episode. Uh, this is Kaiju versus History, beginning of the end. Welcome back, everybody, to Kaiju versus History. This is, of course, Monster Miles, and I am joined by Putrid Patrick here for, well, an equally putrid movie. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, don't tell uh, we me are, this. We are we are still in the end of the 1950s American monster films, and as you no doubt listened to last week, it's beginning to wear on our souls just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I really wish, I mean, we, we will see this in, in uh, coming decades, but other Japanese studios being like, you know what, we should copy Godzilla and make a whole bunch of extra movies because I would take those in a heartbeat over some of these American knockoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mentioned this last week, but I, I'm just looking forward to the Showa era really kicking off into full swing. Because I think that introduces the the aspects of of kaiju cinema that have they don't always make like the quote unquote best films, but I think they make some of the most enjoyable films, and mm-hmm. and and be, just because they have a specific personality that that these American bug movies and and giant bird movies <laughs> do do not. So yeah, as we said at the top, we are doing 1957's beginning of the end. Which is one of the first joint productions, I think, uh, with you know, ABC and United Paramount Theaters. And I am i don't know. Do we have an example of this beforehand? I mean, this is another kind of big, let's dive into the pool of these summer blockbustery kind of monster films. It started filming in 56. And obviously, four years before, we had 20,000 Fathoms. Two years before that was them and made a ton of money. So every single, I imagine, producer was looking for the next paycheck in that kind of same vein. So, yeah, getting getting together American Broadcasting Company and uh, Paramount Theaters. Uh, I understand that they probably had an idea of, of what a finished product might might do for them. I don't know if they expected what they were going to get from from this production. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, th- th- this has been a very sad one-two punch for us. Um, and and again, this is I think indicative of a lot of these attempts by American filmmakers to make giant monster movies because it doesn't seem they necessarily understand outside of the spectacle what it takes to make a giant monster movie. Yeah. But before we get into that, Patrick, I need you to answer me this: What's in a title? Well, when we first started putting this on our schedule i thought this movie was called the beginning of the end because that kind of makes a little bit more sense but indeed the u.s release was just beginning of the end yeah in in finland it was called pelonka 2 which translates to streets of fear much better title oh yeah and the japanese kanji translated to overture to the end of the world also an excellent title 
yeah, we talked about last week how the American monster films, including The Giant Claw, are just not really evocative enough. And at least the beast from 20,000 Fathoms, you know, as as wordy as it is, or it came from beneath the sea, is kind of an interesting title. This one could be any of the alien invasion movies uh, we didn't even talk about, it, but Sam Katzman, who worked on the the giant claw the previous year had worked with ray harryhausen which is why it's even a bigger shame that we didn't get him to stop motion animate that creature but the you know the alien movies had been kicking up picking up a lot of steam and we've we got i don't know if the day the world ended or, or other films like that that started playing into the same kind of base fears that american audiences were responding to with movies like them but yeah, it's a shame that this one didn't get a better title and, and kind of explain what was happening. You don't have to call them grasshoppers, even though that's what they were. You know, you can call them locusts, like the plague of locusts or attack of the locusts, day of of the locusts, I guess. Yeah, I, I really expected there to be some sort of of locust associated title. Yeah, they, they mentioned them. They are locusts and, you know, the dangers. They have the whole scene <laughs> breaking down the dangers of locusts. And apparently in 1956, there was a huge plague in Australia that they go over. I, I didn't check to see if that was actually historically accurate because I don't care enough. But um, in the 11th season of The Simpsons, in I would say one of the most famous episodes of The Simpsons. I, I remember this one being talked about a lot. E-I-E-I-Doe where homer becomes a farmer and makes tobacco tobacco tomato plants this movie is referenced because they they uh, he talks about making the giant tomato plants that they do in this film and he erroneously titles this film grasshopperus <laughs> which is a great monster movie kind of kaiju joke yeah i i I, if this movie had been called grasshopperus and there was a singular a single giant locust i i could i could be i could be down to clown with that (laughs) but unfortunately beginning of the end is what we got it does it it feels like they're trying to ape you know it came from beneath the sea or or something similar like that like make it sound more important than it is the movie the what we got should have just been called grasshopper attack or something right i tried to find some interesting factoids about what was happening at the time miles this was this was out there were fears in america at the time growing fears about the use of pesticides poisons like ddt and there's a new york times article that started rachel uh, carson on her research into the book silent spring which was a really important work of the 1960s that kind of got the ball rolling from a lot of environmentalists of the time about pesticides and things like that. I don't think this movie is really playing into those fears, but it's interesting to see them brought up in, you know, the, right. the giant tomatoes and then kind of, I mean, it, it, they just stole the plot point from them about radioactivity making giant ants and in the same vein what if giant grasshoppers now? <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't really hit in the same way as them. One of the reasons them is probably going to be the best American monster movie of the 50s, for me at least. But, you know, it could have been a lot more. This is this handles radioactive testing very sloppily here. Just like, oh, it's giant 
giant grasshoppers now. It, but. it does. I, I think the biggest problem with this movie outside of the creatures, but we'll get to that in a second, is a little bit how they they took an idea that could have been super interesting and just glazed over it. Yeah, and it, it's funny because it's kind of also stealing that idea from Tarantula about them you know feeding the radioactive isotopes to all these animals and making them them grow bigger which we'll see later on is what the i think it's an hg wells story the food of the gods is yes. is based on that i think all these movies are kind of taking points of it's just like what if they created this thing that made giant foods but that also made animals giant as well and doesn't really make for a good kaiju film unfortunately i mean the ideas behind it could make a good one and yeah i mean this could be a cool origin if again if it was like grasshopperus and it was like <laughs> this food made one single like creature that had some special abilities i i could easily see this being an interest i think this has the bones for an interesting film fire breathing giant grasshopper would have been great well you know we're going to talk about it in the 60s but die was trying to make a movie very similar about giant rats nazura the taking over the city and thankfully that production was canceled okay, well, for- it was shut down uh it was shut down you would think it made, the same made thing- way for a very famous giant turtle you think the same thing could happen here, should have happened, but some ha- some butterfly flapped its wings in Africa, and instead, well, when the designer of this film, the the I guess grasshop special effects designer, he ordered two hundred male grasshoppers from Texas because they were the only ones kind of stateside large enough to where the camera would be able to focus on them, and it wouldn't look like you're trying to micro focus on a much smaller creature these huge grasshoppers and by the time they started filming with them they had savaged one another they had cannibalized all but 12 one of the reasons i almost didn't want to add this movie on the list is because of i mean we're the animal cruelty angle we're watching killers on the screen (laughs) actual monsters that cannibalize They, they didn't want to get you know both male and female grasshoppers, because, you know, if you order 200 of them, you could have 2000 very, very soon after that. Right. The, this production duo of ABC and, and Paramount got into bed and got still a fairly new director. I think this is fourth or fifth movie, Bert I. Gordon, and, and got him to to come helm this one film that's not on our list, but we might talk about at some point in the future is he did Cyclops which is, I think I've seen parts of that movie. It's a really bad kind of sci-fi film with... Yeah, I've seen uh, it. A very... The scenes I've seen has a very drunk Lon Chaney Jr. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, some interesting effects of trying to make an actor who's just wearing... I don't think he was a toga, but like, you know, like a leopard skin and and Cyclops-like makeup. It was kind of like he had like one eye marred Try to make him look 20 feet tall or something. Well, and speaking of Gordon, so there was a, an editor, of, an author at the time who actually coined the term sci-fi, uh, Forrest J. Ackerman. He gave mm-hmm. Gordon the name Mr. Big because of his initials and the fact that, you know, the director happened to be kind of a big monster movie guy, you know, because yeah. 
he would go on to direct uh, The Amazing Colossal Man, uh, Earth vs. the Spider, and eventually, as, as you had mentioned before, Food of the Gods. Yeah, and there's a couple other movies that kind of, I mean, it's all about like height disparities. I think, I don't know if he did The Incredible Shrinking Man, but oh no, he did the like Night of the Puppet People, where <laughs> I think this is another MST3K one, where four teenagers get like shrunken down and they have to like deal with you know uh, yeah that's a that's a very it's, i think it's attack of the uh, public people from uh, right. 58 uh oh, it's yeah, a it's, it's a very popular trope in in sci-fi uh which was even used as recently as like uh, full moon pictures he did that as well <laughs> yeah so bird eye gordon is already known when he gets this film as kind of the you know schlock science fiction guy and that's kind of his career arc he does dozens of these films he had worked with albert glasser the musical composer for this uh, and and back then we talked about how even akira ikafube they they didn't just do music um, or background music they would sometimes do songs and special effects sound effects for the the film but he worked on the cyclops albert glasser he also wrote the score for this one we have he was paid four thousand dollars for the cyclops for all of his work. So we could probably imagine he was paid something similar for this. And he also composed and had a band perform the opening song to this movie, which I thought was interesting. A song called natural, natural baby, <laughs> which, you know, it's, it's obviously it's 1957 when this comes out, but it feels like kind of a swing in sixties song a little bit. And it, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's funny lyrics, you know, for, what the the movie is about you know very unnatural giant grasshoppers coming <laughs> to destroy the world i mean there's not a lot to say about this movie plot wise it is well, let's 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 get into it because so the yeah. film begins with a lazy cold open which i <laughs> yeah. still i still appreciate as i've mentioned this before on the podcast i do appreciate something before going into the title it does have a little bit of a title sequence as opposed to that kind of stage show style you know, from the thirties where you got the title card and then uh, almost like, it's almost like a, a playbill, like put on the screen where it's like, here's the cast. And then the movie starts. I, I do like the fact that there's a cold open, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's so lazy, it's just these two <laughs> lovers making out at lovers lane and the girl kind of looks above the, the guy's shoulder, sees something and screams. And yeah. <laughs> then we find out though, that the next day, the entire town is wiped out. And I think that's kind of a cool idea. Like that, that, that setup is neat. Yeah. I, I will say I, I was waiting for them to kind of show the destruction. And the, the only thing we see later on is like the, and they're not corn silos, the wheat silos that, that are destroyed. Um, right. But uh, our main heroine goes out past like military roadblocks and goes to pay, take a picture, and I was like, okay, well, when's the camera going to swing around and show this destroyed town? Because I know all you need to do is like a simple matte painting, you know, <laughs> of maybe like fires or smoke or something. Uh, well, we and never, never really see that. By the end of this movie, Patrick, you will know that a town of 150 people doesn't just disappear. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, for, for those who haven't suffered through this movie with us, that is a line that the heroine says, about 10 times in the first 15 minutes of this film. <laughs> yeah, they repeated a bunch of stuff. I feel like a lot of plot points reiterated. We get her investigating 
I'm not even sure how, how the tide was, but goes to our main male uh, character in the film botanist, Frank. No, not Frank Johnson. Frank Johnson is his deaf mute assistant or right. colleague, but um, go, goes to the main actor here in the film. And she's a, a, a reporter, another great sci-fi kind of trope. We, we see them in a very interesting set that doesn't come back where they have like, giant tomatoes that they're growing and they're the size of like pumpkins and like larger. I I thought that was very interesting. We don't (laughs) really stay there very long, but yeah, for some reason we have a a botanist there. The main character is a bug specialist, but Frank Johnson, the botanist goes along with them in their investigation of the, the grasshoppers. And for some reason, yeah, he he's the first to like on screen kind of, death that we see as a grasshopper comes over the hill and he finally notices it like when it comes within visual acuity but we get a very silly moment where he's silently screaming and it's very goofy it is it's it's super goofy yeah (laughs) yeah so once again it's like about 30 minutes into the runtime before we get that first kind of inciting incident but it doesn't it's not super slow up till that point yeah, and, and from here on, I mean, you basically have the spread of these, you know, giant locusts. And of course, we see that they have superimposed uh, a, a bug over a screen. Yeah. And I will say, well, I do think I understand the idea of why this might be appealing, because you get you get the actual animal as opposed to a puppet or a suit. Same thing with tarantula. It's creepy. It is creepy to look at. So, I mean, they got that going for them. It, it the, the problem is because especially these kind of animals can't really be trained it doesn't really work like the, the, i will say i think this works better than tarantula i think the way they use the bugs looks better mm. on screen not by a heck of a whole lot but it looks better um In some parts I'll, I'll agree with that i th- i think i mean i'm just saying compared to tarantula they tried to do more and succeeded less than Tarant- tarantula just had him like in the background for the most of it. Here is a lot of shadow work. Yeah. Here you see bugs like coming through the forest and just like multiple places, including when they're climbing up the side of the the building where their just feet go off the glass plate into thin air. You know (laughs) what, what will keep me from rewatching this movie, because I do think I like this one a little bit more than you did is the same complaint I had last week. And I don't know what it is, with American filmmakers and making the most ear splitting and unpleasant noise a monster can make. Yeah. And I mean, I get that it's supposed to, you know, just replicate the, the sound of a a locust, but like it was actively irritating every single time they were on screen. I will, I'll agree with you. I think they did a little bit job replicating the effect of them than of course, the giant claw did there's like zero sound mixing so we don't get any kind of doppler effect or no like fade in with um the giant claw here it's a little bit i think they did well with that sound effect in them because it sounded alien it sounded like something you wouldn't actually hear in nature because you, you can't hear ants you know right yeah, you have this like grasshoppers or crickets make a noise that you could more easily take you know and they didn't really go that route it is just kind of like a droning this movie also gets points for one very important thing that few of these movies have done 
someone says the title of the movie and it makes me so happy <laughs> yeah well they say, they it's say the beginning of the end <laughs> uh yeah yeah so it's it's the same situation they're they're worried about these bugs kind of taking over and, and propagating I, I mentioned the main what what, what is the, what is someone that studies <laughs> bugs called etymologist yes so Dr. Ed Wainwright is, is the main male character, and he's played by Peter Graves, who, you know, is a huge star. He was the, I mean, he would go on to do Mission Impossible, the the TV show, and you probably, if you know of him, you probably know him best from the movie Airplane. He's the, such, yeah. such a great movie. Yeah, he's he had some great comedic chops. They don't really do anything with him here in this movie. <laughs> They, they they don't. And that's 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 the bummer is, I mean, I, I think both Peter Graves and Peggy Castle were excellent in the film. Peggy Castle, especially. I think she did a great job. I, 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 I'm really bummed that they did so little with these characters. I think, again, like I said at the top, I think this has the potential for a really interesting, fun movie. And they just take the path of most boring resistance. I mean, everything about it is is kind of by the numbers in terms of American monsters. And while I think even, even the, the way to get rid of them by like using that decoy mating call, I think is kind of interesting, but they, they approach all of these interesting angles in the most, you know, humdrum way. And it's, and it's a bummer because, you know, they should have been, I would have loved if they had really kind of, and story-wise they did, but I really wish that they had, amped up the tension of the countdown to a nuclear destruction oh, yeah. of Chicago. And it just kind of feels like call it off boys. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a, a plot point that we're going to see in a lot of Kaiju movies, you know, uh, 84's Godzilla. Does it King of the monsters? No. Well, uh, 2014's Godzilla had uh, an atomic potential blast happening. It's announced. Both, both of those examples utilize that a lot better with the tension of the possibility of an atomic attack. Yeah. Yeah. And it's suggested and dealt with within like five minutes in this movie. I mean, it's, it's a very, this is a very short movie as well, but it, it's something that I think they could have built up to and, and utilized a little bit better. As soon as they figure out, it's like, Oh, we don't have to bomb Chicago. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> all right, don't do it. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's just there was no tension. The general character just called up the pilots is like, hey, do you read me? <laughs> Don't bomb Chicago over. And this is that? as you as you mentioned, this is a very short film. It's only about 73 to 74 minutes long. One of the reasons it, it hits week, its points briskly. Yeah, it, it's one of the reasons that last week, you know, the movie didn't bother me that much because I could see the runtime remaining. I was like, oh, well, they got 12 minutes to wrap this thing up. <laughs> yeah, well, see, the, the problem with last week's movie is. It may have only been about 70 minutes long, but it felt 170 minutes long to me. I <laughs> I kind of felt the same way about this one. This one and Tarantula. Tarantula was glacially slow. So this one, for whatever reason, despite all of my issues with it, it seemed to kind of go a pretty decent pace. I, I did, They backtracked a lot and they, I mean, I felt there's a lot of kind of standing around and... Mm. I, I mean, honestly, you could have made this movie about a cool 60 minutes and it would have been perfectly fine. It's but like the, the science fiction channel movies, I feel like those are really short, really fast, too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's not a whole lot about this film that stands out. 
and good or bad. And I mean, you can make the case that that's even worse, but I, I, I will I, miles. <laughs> I, 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 I imagine that you will, but for me that while it is, you know, fair to Midland, it, there are aspects about the, the potential of this film that I, I really enjoy. I, I, I love the, the idea that for the first little bit, you know, there's this whole mystery of an entire town disappeared. As much as I make fun of using that line, it was an interesting mystery. I liked that whole idea of the government being like, oh, we got to keep this in the hush hush. Because if, uh, if it gets out that uh, entire town was wiped out, we don't know why in the mystical war, it's going to look bad. Well, so I mean, you, you say there, that, but that's just like, I mean, not a town being wiped out, but that is the plot from them. Like they, they're racing against time for people finding out about these bugs because they don't want to cause a panic, you know? But see, at the beginning, they don't even know about the bugs. They just know a town's been wiped out. Yeah, that, that's a good that's a good point. And I so like, I feel like we I, will get that plot point in other kaiju films of like, oh, well, this this island was destroyed. You know, we have- And no- it'll work on me. I, I think that that can, if used properly, can be extremely eerie and effective. And mm-hmm. I am all for it. And that's probably why I'm a little more lenient on this film is like it uses- even though it doesn't use all these things well, it uses some plot devices that I really like. Yeah. Even though I think the bugs look incredibly stupid and they make the most obnoxious noise, not more <laughs> obnoxious than the giant claw or deadly claw. Was it giant claw, deadly claw? Giant. Giant. <laughs> well, we did deadly claw, deadly mantis, giant claw, and, <laughs> and now it's the beginning of the end. This would be this. This should be called the scary grasshoppers. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> to, to keep with the theme, yeah, uh, it it should be, but th- it does a couple things that I like a little bit more. And while I sound much more positive about this film as I did last week, hold on, it doesn't mean I I really loved the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say the good news here for us and potentially our listeners, if they're going along and watching these movies with us, is this is like one of the last them knockoffs that we actually get we we get some other movie knockoffs but it does make me want to go back and give more kudos to them uh because i mean this that movie spawned more cheap derivatives than even godzilla i feel like later godzilla movies and its popularity its resurgence in the 60s would go on and, and, and spawn many more copies but at this point I mean, Tarantula, the or the Deadly Mantis, beginning of the ends, all them films felt like they were 100% just ripping. I mean, in this movie, whole scenes like there's also a scene where the two cops show up and they see the destruction of like the the Lovers Lane's vehicle and they bring out the homicide detectives and it's like shot for shot the exact same scene in them. Uh, yeah. They they decide to to rip, and yeah, it just makes me go want to go back and and realize how well paced and and the mystery of that movie is kind of played out. Let's let's talk about the the legacy of this film before we get to our our review. I don't think I really have heard any chatter about this film outside of the fact that it was roasted on Mystery Science Theater three thousand, which is probably where I. Yeah, the only place I've seen it. <laughs> well, and I was also, you know, referred to in The Simpsons. So there, yeah. there if you, I think if you're a, maybe a, a movie savvy person or a, a genre savvy person, you might have some experience with this film. I mean, 
And the film was a modest hit. You know, it it came out, made $16,000 its opening weekend in San Francisco, which at the time it was playing against, I think, the re-release of Bambi, which I think grossed 18500 So, you know, it, it did okay. I think I, I think that we saw that they have estimated the budget was around 150 So you can imagine if it was playing other places, it probably did all right. I think that in, in this kind of trilogy of movies that we've watched recently, I, I feel like it plays the best. Again, that 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 notion of an entire town just kind of being devoured overnight and disappearing is extremely effective in terms of just, even though the movie doesn't take advantage of it, uh, just just the idea of it is generally creepy. It's eerie. It's it's despite how they they don't ca- how much they don't cash in on that idea. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I, 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 in ways I enjoyed this. It feels like a, a little bit more than Tarantula, but Tarantula had like other weird ideas going on, like the 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 facial defiguration, like the the disease that the the scientists were getting and things like that. And this movie is just, I mean, I've I've seen it before. I've seen it because it was called Them, you know, and and done uh, to a, a better degree. I think if Them didn't exist and this movie came out, I'd be like, oh, okay. There's, like like you said, there's a bunch of very interesting ideas here, and they they threaten to you know go with the 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 nuclear option on American soil, which is like wow, that's crazy that that was allowed through, you know. Well, and I think there is that kind of they're still playing with that Cold War era, and so I know there has been some sort of you know modern assessment about how this this film and a lot of films like it tap into the the 1950s uh, kind of american zeitgeist and psyche of worries over invasive species overtaking america mm-hmm. which in 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 real life was ideological and you know territorial but here it's it's kind of lifted into as well here are these giant grasshoppers or here's this giant bird and we can we can kind of have this cathartic fear put into a monster that we can actively take down I, I i agree with you i really wish there was a single large monster than the threat like in them of like thousands eventually because it, it just doesn't work they they send out the the illinois national guard because the the general <laughs> that peter graves character tells about that is like yeah right giant grasshoppers but still sends like 20 guys to go out and kill them and they do absolutely nothing they just get torn to pieces but then later in the movie when they're the locusts are climbing up the side of the building like peter graves alone with the tommy gun like knocks one out like kills one yeah it's like what? and i <laughs> mean do bullets work against them or not and i gotta i gotta give gordon credit so he he didn't care whether the reviews were bad because he cared whether or not people pay to see the movie and and he's quoted as the movie audience these days consists almost entirely of teenagers either they're naive and go to get scared or they're sophisticated and enjoy scoffing at the pictures. There isn't much a teenager can scoff at these days, you know? And I kind of love that self-awareness. <laughs> well, like, yeah, I mean, he, he is the Michael Bay of his day. This is the Transformers <laughs> series of, of the day because you're right. I mean, it, I mean, it is kind of like, I mean, 20 million Elvis fans can't be wrong kind of situation. If the movie sells and people you know, go, go to see it. Even if they have bad reviews, I mean, like I said, with the giant claw, people can enjoy a bad movie. That's where we get the whole idea of incredible bad or 
you know, good, bad <laughs> movies from. And I think people can enjoy this one for the schlock that it is. I, I think so too. And I'm, I'm definitely more one of them. And some people might be a little curious as to why I'm so much more kinder to beginning the end than I was, you know, the giant claw, but there was an aspect about this film that really works for me. I think there was a genuine mm-hmm. attempt to make an interesting movie, whether or not they succeeded. And it clear, it clearly Gordon clearly is like, yeah, we're going to kind of go for something. And if yeah. we don't hit the mark, it doesn't matter because we know our audience and he's right. Teenagers either want to, you know, go for the cheap scare and maybe canoodle with their date more, or they just, they want to actively enjoy something they can make fun of because this isn't being cynical. I think that, that teenagers also like having something they can control and, you know, pick apart. They're the ones who are judged in their everyday lives. And so being able to go see something that they know they can kind of look over is therapeutic. And I think it's fun. I think he's right when he says, you know, teenagers don't have much to scoff at these days because we're in the height of the Cold War. You know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of international worries that are only going to build up in the next few years. I can see going to see one of these movies just to kind of check out and either, either you know, get get close to your date or just to be like, this is so silly. I, I can totally see why these movies worked because these movies, especially at the drive-in, worked very well i mean this movie made money yeah i mean even his previous films i think were successful enough bird eye gordon's to to get him this role and he makes more giant uh creature films that yeah we're going to examine you know (laughs) yeah he sticks with bugs more than he should Here's the thing. I like it for this film. I'm not saying he should keep doing it. <laughs> and unfortunately, he he go his next film was Earth versus the Spider, which is from what I remember a kind of a fun movie, but yeah, he kind of sticks with <laughs> what he knows. Uh, but let's well, let's let's get into our our personal opinions. Takes. Yeah. Yeah, so we we're going to rate like we do all the movies on on three aspects, our own personal enjoyment, the a look at the technical aspect and that's really comparing it to you know other movies of the time you know we can't compare this one especially to say 2014's Godzilla those are different entirely different effects and time time frames and then finally it's kind of lasting legacy and it's kind of spiritual element within the genre that that's a little more hard to to qualify because you know even bad movies can be influential or or remembered mm-hmm. i guess uh, so i mean that th- i understand that that one's a little difficult mine are pretty easy for my ratings for this one i'm going with personal enjoyment it's my lowest rated just because I, I feel like i've seen this movie three or four times now in the 50s uh i gave this one a three i wasn't angry that i watched the the movie i just it does it does feel like an hour and a half or so wasted and yeah, it doesn't make me feel bad. I gave Tarantula a four. I feel like I kind of did enjoy this just slightly more than or slightly less than Tarantula. But those are both like movies I don't really want to watch again. And but you're a little different, right? Yeah, I um I surprised myself with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave this one a six. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I gave uh, the giant claw. <laughs> so I uh, yeah, and I think I think it's just a difference of how what we were looking for. I I personally did enjoy a lot of the plot points. They didn't succeed, which is why it's getting a six in a lot of them. But I thought 
the two leads were very, very competent. And I thought for a giant bug movie, which I'm very sick and tired of, they had an, a cool concept, a cool idea, a very kaiju concept. The, the irradiated food was really neat. And again, that town disappearing was a great opening element. There was some stuff that worked. Even the the solution of leading the the locusts into the 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 water, freezing so the, waters, yeah, yes, yeah, so they would drown. Was great. The problem was they didn't capitalize off of the great ideas that they had or the fun ideas that they had. So, but I mean, outside of the the ear splitting and unpleasant locust noise, which is probably going to keep me from re- rewatching this movie frequently, I did have a monochrome of uh, amount of fun with this one. So, yeah, six. I will say I I will probably rewatch this as the MST3K episode at some point just because oh 100%. I mean that's that's its legacy in my mind. <laughs> Technically I rated this I think even lower than the the giant claw, but it's pretty much on the same level. I mean, it is some interesting effects where they they've added the bugs into the same frames as as people. They decided not to use miniatures like we saw with a live bug with the deadly mantis and said, just had a glass plate picture of the building that was climbing up. And some of those scenes are passable. Some of them just really, really aren't. But yeah. Can't I, I think actually I gave giant claw the same. I gave this technically a three out of, out of 10. Yeah. I, I gave it a, uh, a four. So not too much higher. I thought, you know, a lot of the sets were pretty interesting and at least well done. I, they did kind of uh, screw the pooch on at least giving us a matte painting of a destroyed town. Oh, man, I was waiting for it. I was like, Let's me see this too. <laughs> I was really, especially when she's taking that that one photo and and, and looking over what's happened. Mm-hmm. But the the wheat silo was kind of interesting. The stuff in Chicago was pretty neat. Like there, there were some cool sets. I thought that they did a better job superimposing the actual animals on screen than Tarantula did. I just they were still not well done. Yeah. You know, it's still superimposed grasshoppers. There was a couple of scenes that looked a little better than I expected, but it's still not great. It's still fairly soulless, and and which is the one of the, the marks we have for a four out of ten. So I kind of I kind of went there with cultural. I did kind of skew upwards again. You know, I mentioned this before the the fact that you know it's been drawn upon by the Simpsons and MST3K, mm-hmm. and that it has some degree of uh, discussion about it from some, some modern critics, or at least critics within the last 20 years. It's not a film that if you brought up to anybody in, in a general conversation that they're going to know. I think even amongst monster movie fans, this one may not be as well known. So it's still, it's still lower, but mm-hmm. the fact that you have two extremely iconic series utilizing it in some fashion, I think pokes it up a little bit for me. Uh-huh. Well, what's your final score there uh so six four and five with a total of five right there kind of in the middle i've got you know it's mixed feelings flawed but worthy well worthy's probably a little bit strong but i think it's got i got it's got some neat stuff i i wasn't actively angry after finishing it in the way that i was with the deadly claw so yeah i i, I was kind of right there in the middle a, a good little two and a half star movie uh, I was almost going to give it the guilt-inducing treatment. I think I've, I've upgraded a little bit after talking with you about it for its impact, its legacy. And like I said, while it's very derivative of... of them, oh, it's absolutely very derivative, yes. It's spiritual connection to other kaiju movies. It just doesn't feel that important to 
the genre. I, I think if this movie, you know, for whatever reason, they lost like the masters and they couldn't reproduce it. I don't know if it'd be that big of a loss, but yeah, MST three K can, can immortalize this film. I think I could give it a four for that kind of spiritual impact. Uh, and I will probably definitely have future viewings of this movie be through the MST3K version. <laughs> yeah, I almost gave this three across the boards, but that's still going to, with our two scores combined, come out to another four. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of flip-flopped from last week where I was the one kind of defending this this little stinker. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I was surprised. I, I thought one of these at the very least would dip a little bit below that. I mean, that's right in line with our, our, our least other least favorite, The Deadly Mantis. And then Tarantula and Son of Kong, we both gave or it averaged out to five for for those ones with Tarantula a little bit below Kong. I, I think maybe <laughs> a giant claw, like just by the numbers might be a lower four, if that makes sense. But good. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, really harsh on that one. I think, I think that was I think my average was what, three, I think. Or it might have been two point three for for which one for Giant Claw Giant Claw two was your average. oh yeah I, two I gave it a five so yeah a little little a uh, little more enjoyment from both of us for for beginning of the end but yeah that's that's gonna do it for for this week I'm surprised we had as much to say about both last week and this week's movies as we did uh, hopefully we're gonna get some better films in the future but that is that's gonna do it for for us. Um, for beginning of the end if you enjoyed this episode you want to talk to us on on twitter about kaiju movies whether this one counts as one or not uh we're on twitter at kaiju versus history or you can email us with any questions or, or um, suggestions for for the podcast at kaiju versus history at gmail.com and you can go onto our website to get ready and see what is coming up next kaijuversushistory.com to to see you know where we're going next in the 50s cuz we're still in here for a couple more years uh thank you miles for for, for watching these terrible movies with me <laughs> and listeners if you watch them as well thank you so much uh, we're going to catch you uh, next time when we near the end of the 1950s in monster films but before we go back to Japan, we need to continue on into special effects of giant American bug films and discover what happens when you actually dig deep in your pockets and get some good special effects artists in here. That's right. Next time, tune in to History versus the Black Scorpion.